0: Coming up, a Sad Styles production.
1: Hello and welcome. My name is Mikey Aaronworth signing on to the sign-off of Frameworth Podcast for yet another week. It is the show where we talk about all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports and sports marketing. I am joined in studio once again by my loyal co-host, some like to say the main host, Brian Aaronworth, president of Frameworth Sports Marketing. We've had a, a string of good recordings. Eh? We put a, put a few yeah. together in the bank and how you, you keeping up? You managing No, no, this pace? is great.
0: I'm getting ahead of the curve in case I go away for a little while.
1: A little I'm, while.
0: I'm you know, to do listeners
1: will one. know that we <laughs> just had a couple weeks of you not here as well so go away you should say again well i
0: should give my a heads up i'm heading to florida this weekend to do a signing with our new exclusive uh player for the blue jays alec manoa uh,
1: there you go heard it here first yep there a little you exclusive go. for the sign off podcast and we've got a guest waiting in the wings who uh we can't wait to introduce in a little bit but before we do as we normally do on the podcast a little bit of a shout out to all of our listeners out there who have shown us some love on apple podcasts and Spotify. Just a reminder, if you haven't already and you're out there listening, just go onto your app, give us a rating and a review, and you may find yourself with a free piece of memorabilia that we'll send out to you. We do some random draws, give you a bit of a shout out on the podcast like we're about to right now. This review comes in from Tim Marin via Apple Podcasts. Five stars. Calls it the Wayne Gretzky of podcasts.
0: Well, there you go. There you go. Not, how, not too how bad. How apropos for today How apropos show.
1: of today. Uh, every episode is a great one. This guy says, listen, with those sorts of puns, you should be the host of this podcast, not me. You won't be disappointed. The guys do their research, ask great questions that are awesome guests, and keep the fun conversations going. I hate when each one ends. Keep up the great work. I'll be listening. Tim. Tim. Thank you so much. As we always do, reach out to us, signoffpod at framework.com, 30 days from the drop of this episode. And today, I think in the spirit of our guest and in the spirit of the title of that review, let's go with a Kevin Lowe 8x10 photo. There you go. Oh, yeah, there you go. That sounds good. We'll send that out. So reach out to us, sign off pod at framework.com. And hey, if you haven't already, leave us a rating and review. We choose randomly from those lists to send out some giveaways to. Uh, but enough of that. Enough patting on the back. Uh, love to start these episodes out with a little bit of uh, self-affirmation, as we always do. But we've got more important things to get to. Our guest today played seven years in the NHL, which included three seasons backstopping for a talented young team in Edmonton, featuring the likes of Mark Messier, Kevin Lowe, and Glenn Anderson, Paul Coffey, and a little-known talent named Wayne Gretzky. After going deep with the New York Rangers and mentoring a budding Steve Iserman in Detroit, his legendary charisma and charm landed him roles as a player agent, brand ambassador, director of player development, and best man. More on that later. It's a pleasure to introduce the man who's perhaps the most referenced person by other guests on this podcast, which is a simple testament to the marquee's left not only on the game, but on his peers. Ladies and gentlemen, Eddie Mio. Hey Eddie.
2: Hey, thank you, Mikey and uh, Brian. Uh, I I was laughing when you said that he's going to be missing again for two weeks. When does he? When is he here? Every time I see him on Facebook, him and his wife, lovely wife, they're off somewhere. Whether they're overseas in Europe, uh, on a boat, on a cruise, I. I I want to be your dad when uh, when I grow up. I, I really believe that. I mean, Listen, I, oh.
1: I want I want you to be my dad as well because maybe you'd be around a little bit more often. <laughs> it's like I this mean. guy's trying to get away from me or something.
0: Uh, too much. No, yeah, it's I, uh, some of it's business five days in florida one day to do the signing and the rest is going to be kicking back it's a long winter and covid has taken its toll but well anyway. to be
1: fair you you know you've 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 i guess gotten used to traveling more often both for work and for pleasure and for the past two years you couldn't quite do that uh, i'm sure we'll touch on a little bit of uh what that meant for you eddie in a little bit there but uh, i mentioned in the introduction uh your name comes up quite a bit on this podcast we've had tons of guests brad jansen as we were talking about earlier another one stan butler more recently who had tons of great things to say about you and he asked us specifically and i'll kind of i'll touch on this because if, if you're listening and you haven't heard the stan butler episode it's fantastic uh legendary coach uh who who had a ton of great stories to tell some of which involved our guest t- uh, today eddie mio but he asked us to ask you a couple questions so in order to, to keep uh, that cliffhanger that cliffhanger from censored, going too long
2: censored program censored podcast
1: nothing censored about it that's why okay. we brought you on uh so you oh, can yeah. it, feel free to tell whatever stories you want i'm, a, I'm afraid <laughs> i'm excited because you're afraid uh he wanted to ask you about a uh, hotel room in penticton oh, particularly god. the maids do you have any stories about that
2: oh god <laughs> i don't know why he's put me under the bus it was more him <laughs> um <laughs> no, the, the mates, what he's referring to is we, uh, Stan and I go way back when he was still with Wexford Raiders in the Junior A, junior a Tier 2. And uh, when Mike Barnett and I decided to start doing summer camps, uh, we needed a guy. Uh, we used to go to Brainerd, so they had their staff there, but that was getting a little too uh, expensive because we were <clears throat> getting more and more young talent Uh like Rico Fata, Joe Thornton, uh, Michael Handre, but so we decided to do our own. So I went out and uh, and got Stan to uh, well to to lead the on ice skills and the practices. Well, one year we decided to go to Penticton, and I I don't know wh- whose idea it was, but we had just picked up the twins, the Sunday twins. And I think it was because they both went to Vancouver. We decided to have it ticked Penticton. And we had quite a draw. But we had Joe Thornton, Tim Glenn. We had a, a good group, uh, Heatley. We had a good group. So we were in this one hotel. And uh, uh, there was a pretty cute maid. Uh, but it was more the kids that were, you know, being rambunctious. Not Not so much me. I was an old guy. She was young.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: So that's as far as I'm going to take it because uh, the rest is, <laughs> is uh, I want to keep my reputation up. A little up, bit. So, yeah.
0: Well, no, if you want to keep your reputation up, you tell the story, Eddie. Oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> not, not this one. But, uh, but Stan okay. and I, Dan, I, I thought he was going to hit you with another one, but uh, we'll keep that one quiet too. And that was a night out in town between me and Stan, so.
1: Okay, well, he did ask me as well to ask you about one more incident. I don't know if this is the one he's talking about, but it was a wedding in Windsor. And I noticed not Edmonton because that was Wayne Gretzky's wedding, but a wedding in Windsor. Maybe he didn't want to put you on the spot with that other night out, but what what can you tell us about this mysterious wedding in Windsor?
2: Well, obviously it was mine. (laughs) (laughs) It has has to be mine because that's the only wedding that I know that uh, we attended all together. Uh, it was quite, uh, quite the event. Uh, Stan obviously was invited. We had Mike Barnett. Wayne was the best man. Uh, it, there was over 440 people. Um, half of which Whoa. I didn't know who they were, but friends kept saying, well, you got to invite this guy, this guy, and this guy. So, uh, the wedding was <laughs> mine. That's the only one I can think that Stan and I, uh, were there together. So it was quite an event. Um, uh, the marriage didn't last very long. Four years later, I was divorced, but uh, uh, we had a good time. Uh, the guys came in, all my clients at the time. I was with, uh, I was with Phoenix uh, Coyotes, but my old clients, well. I shouldn't say all former clients all came in and uh, we had a very good time. Uh, Kevin was in, Pat Brisson, uh, obviously, uh, Glenn and We had a good, good time. So I'm, I'm sure he's referring to that wedding because that's the only one I was at in Windsor <laughs> for a long, long time.
0: Speaking of weddings, Eddie, uh, I saw on social media yesterday, and I haven't confirmed with Wayne or anybody <laughs> else yet, but there was a, a- party of uh of bridesmaids and uh and paulina heading down somewhere in the islands is that something that i mean it you got it was on social media and instagram so i got to assume is is there something in the works there
2: <laughs> i think you better ask i mean me. if she
0: posted it it's got to
2: uh, yeah I, Did I don't she know post I mean, who's wedding it, it was
0: Well, there was her in white and a lot of people in pink, so I'm maybe assuming that maybe she's getting (laughs) married. Without me
2: giving it away, what do
0: you think, Brian? (laughs) I'm, I'm pretty sure reading into that, and I don't know for a fact, but if there's a plane load of bridesmaids in pink and Pauline
1: in white, and they're going to celebrate somewhere, maybe she's... Tying the knot. This is, uh, Eddie, I'm not sure if you knew it, but Frameworth has a new branch. Uh, it's our TMZ branch. We report say, on celebrity social media.
2: Mickey, you notice I'm keeping a little tight lip because he, he already knows the answer, I, okay? He already
0: knows. Uh, well, I think so. I, yeah. I, I haven't talked to Wayne. I might talk to him this weekend, but I I don't know for a fact. But, I mean, if it's Instagram and it's all over Instagram, sure. I got to assume that that's the case Uh, but anyways we'll we'll let uh, you know when i know for sure
2: okay unless she's just practicing well yeah there you go that's
1: always a good excuse for a party but uh, you know what um I'd like to get in a little bit about your uh, early playing days and then we'll we'll get kind of into your relationships and what you're up to nowadays uh 1974 drafted by both the Blackhawks and the Vancouver Blazers of the WHA but you decided to stay in the minors now this is more commonly known but I have a question about your reasoning behind this because Chicago at the time had a pretty decent goalie in Tony Esposito now we had Bernie Perron on and he talked about about the benefits he had playing under Jacques Plant, one of his childhood icons, was there a part of you that that considered the balance between learning from a guy like Esposito and the potential inability to play in an organization where Esposito's there? What what was your balancing act there in your thinking?
2: Well, what happened there was uh, I went to camp uh, with Chicago, but it was Dallas Black camp in Guelph at the university there. And I did well because I was still in college. I was uh, just uh, finished my sophomore year. So at the camp, uh, they wanted to sign me, but it was more of a – they would supplement my contract with Chicago, but I'd be playing in Flint. Flint was in the international league Mm -hmm. at that time. It was a good league, Uh, but I decided to go back to college and uh, finished off the, the next two years. And uh, I had all American years, both years, so I I figured my worth would be up. Uh, They still had that goalie you just mentioned, Tony Esposito. Hmm. And every other year, they would alternate between Michel Dumas and Mike Weiser. One guy would stay up. The next guy would uh, play in Dallas all the time. And, you know, it was back and forth, but Tony was the constant. I mean, Tony was playing 60 games a year that year. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. all those years. So... When it came to my senior year and and, and we were discussing which avenue to go, uh, by that time Vancouver had folded and they became Calgary Cowboys and uh, they picked up my rights from Vancouver. And I signed with them and I was up for about a month and then they decided to send me and get me some playing time because Calgary had a guy by the name of Don Smokey McLeod and He had just won the Avco Cup the year before, heck of a goalie. And so they wanted me to get some playing time. And I went down to, uh, first it was uh, Tidewater, which was Norfolk, Virginia. We had a great time on the beaches there. But uh, the Southern League folded, and I ended up in Erie, Pennsylvania, in the North American League, probably better known as the league that Slapshot was formed after. There you go. Yeah. yeah, and trust me, everything you saw in Slapshot, <laughs> it was true in the North American League. <laughs> uh, it was that crazy buses, the girl, everything you saw in that in that movie has ninety percent truth to that because I lived it for a year. Paul Newman
1: streaking as well. Paul Newman used to streak all the time in those yeah. games.
2: So after that, that year, uh, Cal- Calgary folded and Birmingham Bulls picked me up, and again. I was up and down in the minors, ended up most of the year in Hampton until uh, they uh, they loaned me out to Indianapolis, okay? I, I finished the year, the whole year there, and obviously the following year, 1978, in comes Wayne Gretzky. But the reason mm-hmm. I decided to go to WHA, I always thought here I could get a name, start playing, and hopefully when the NHL teams. And we always knew, we had a feeling that the WHA was going to fold and NHL was going to pick up some of the stronger teams. And you could see that. Every every year there was a couple teams folding. So you knew somebody was going to get picked up, especially all of a sudden the year before the five guys go to to Birmingham, Pat Riggin, uh, Ramage, uh, Ricky Five. Rick Five, who we just
1: interviewed yesterday. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you kind of knew those were big NHL prospects. In comes Wayne Gretzky. So I think I did a, a, a pretty good move by doing that. Got established for four years in the WHA, and Edmonton buys us off from Indianapolis. The next year, Edmonton becomes NHL. So I think it was a good mm-hmm. decision because I might have been buried in the Chicago organization because, uh, like I said, Mike Weiser and Michelle Dumas, and Tony ended up playing another five years right so uh uh-huh. even even after we got a uh, wha got absorbed so this way i got the play earlier uh than i thought so
1: An- another important element of this is is meeting your uh, eventual best friend in in Wayne Gretzky uh who who as we mentioned you were the best man at his wedding and and vice versa he was the best man at your wedding um those those early days playing was it? Did you guys immediately hit it off, or was this more of a a, a process uh, of of a few years staying with him? Even even in the move over to Edmonton, w- did you guys just just hit it off right away?
2: I think we hit it off. There was a third man involved in Peter Driscoll, but it was funny that that summer I came back to Windsor and uh, India just signed. Uh, Wayne and and all my friends. I was playing Mm -hmm. uh, uh, fastball at the time. We'd go to a bar afterwards, and I was asked. I said, "How how do you think uh, you're going to like playing with Wayne Gretzky?" And I looked right at him. I said, "I have no clue who this kid is, but how's he (laughs) going to like like playing with me? I'm the established guy. Hey, there you go. I've had three years, (laughs) and I keep telling, I keep telling Wayne the story. But uh, that was the case. So I didn't know anything about Wayne." Indianapolis, we didn't get hockey news. We didn't get news of the junior leagues, Sault Ste. Marie, uh, world juniors. You know, I I just come from Birmingham, Indianapolis. We're kind of down south. What had happened was Pat Stapleton, Whitey Stapleton, former Chicago Blackhawks, Chicago Cougars, was our GM and uh, coach. And he had called us up. Peter and I had a house in Carmel. And uh, we would go back most of the summer in, in August well, uh, State uh, Whitey called us up and said, "Listen, this kid Wayne Gretzky is going to be staying with a doctor family. They're going to be living close to you, maybe two three blocks. Would you keep an eye on him and make him feel at home? Because in August he had to go and start uh, what do you call it, uh, high school, right? So, sure, it ended up Wayne's Wayne's hangout was a place called Steak and Shake. Okay." So Peter and I, on a Friday night, we'd always, in August, we weren't playing. So we'd always take, Peter had this beautiful baby blue Berets with top-down, Cadillac, brand new. So we'd come cruising in the thing, and there's Wayne holding court with uh, his high school guys and gals. And we'd just look at him and say, hey, you need anything? Boom. Nope we take off, but we were always keeping an eye on them. During the day uh, after school, we'd go to dinner. So the, the friendship bonded between myself, not only myself, and uh, but Peter Driscoll was an, an important part. He was the third man in the deal. And Peter had just scored 50 goals with Indy the year before, and he was a tough kid. So uh, it was ironic that when they made the deal um, uh, in November that the three of us were going me and Peter were going with Wayne. So that's how the friendship built. Well,
1: I, I think I think Wayne and Peter were going with you based on what you were well, telling us earlier.
2: I think that's more that was the the bulk of the deal, right? All right, you just Mickey, I was just going to say the deal was for 850,000. <laughs> 849,999 was for me. The other dollar <laughs> was for Peter and Wayne. Let's get that straight with all your viewers, okay? That's, that's that is estimated. established
1: now. That's that's canon.
2: They needed a goalie. Okay, <laughs> Wayne was only 17 years old, only played eight games. We didn't know what <laughs> Wayne's going to be, but I re- I was already established. Of <laughs> course. Now, if you're talking to Peter, I, well, you- if you're talking to Peter Driscoll, it's the other way. It's for Peter because he had just scored 50 the year before, and he was a tough guy. But like I said, the whole thing revolved between the two of us in August, meaning me and Peter. Befriending Wayne, making sure we even gave him the house some nights for his party. His guys, John Mowat, his good friend he grew up with, and a couple other guys from Bradford would drive down. We gave him the house to, you know, to have a little party, per se. <laughs> so the bond became close between the three of us. And ironic, like, not ironically, but that's how the deal ended up the three of us going to Edmonton.
1: Now, I, I I heard a story because we had Gus Bedaly on in one of our earlier episodes, a two-parter, a fantastic interview as well. And you mentioned that that deal for 850000 I believe it was. There yeah. was a few thousand of that that would have been spent by you unknowingly <laughs> after one of the flights over. And the story of this flight is fascinating to me. And it dovetails two stories nicely. One is the one I just mentioned, which hopefully you can tell. And the other is, uh, which was was queued up to us by Gus Bedaly. The other was the fact that I've heard that when you got on that flight, you didn't know, you knew you were going to Alberta eventually, but you didn't know which team you were going to be traded to. Is that is that yeah. actually, was that possible at this point? That was true.
2: Uh, we had practice and uh, it was funny because uh, Scalvinia's daughter, and I can't remember her first name, but she was sitting in the stands that morning. And actually she'd been, in Indianapolis all week long. So Nelson Scalbania owned the racers. And uh, after practice, uh, Whitey called us into his office and looked at the three of us and said, guys, I'm sorry, but go home, take your equipment, pack some clothes, you know, you're you're being sold. And we go, oh, wow, Uh, where are we going? He says, "Uh, we don't know yet. It's uh, between Winnipeg and Edmonton. Who's ever got 250000 in the bank makes the deal. By 2 o'clock, you'll know. So be at the airport by 2 o'clock or 1.30. You're leaving at 2 o'clock. While well, we get to the airport and we got our equipment, luggage, and there's this small little Learjet out there. And uh But it didn't matter because we're going private. And back in 1978, nobody went private unless you were Big Shot. No. So we're thinking pro- uh, Big Shot. Well, it's being delayed. It's now 4 o'clock, 4.30, no word. Uh And then Whitey, I, I can't remember if it was 5 or 6 o'clock indie time. Whitey just said, hey, I got a phone call. Get on the plane. Pack your stuff. You're heading to Minneapolis. And by the time you land – the deal should be done, so you're right, and Gus was right. When we got on that plane, we had no clue where we we're going, wow. except for that's that's crazy. That's incredible. Yeah, Minneapolis. We knew we were going to land in Mini, refuel, and uh, and hopefully
0: well, that's a that's a midpoint between Winnipeg and Edmonton. And there you go, those poor Winnipeg fans that <laughs> can have Wayne Gretzky and enough. Eddie Mio and Driscoll. Wow, <laughs> hey. I, 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 and I. I understand there's a lot of a lot of sad people there because they know that story, right? And, uh, yeah. you know, Winnipeg, it, it, up the Andy, they could have had the team. It never would have left. It was Never would have left Winnipeg.
1: and, and the, uh, another pretty big name, I think, that we're kind of vying between uh, the rights to to the three of you and and the stories behind. I mean, the the WHA fascinates me. I love talking to people who have experience with it because I mean, even everything down to the rumors that the rights were won on a backgammon game while the flight was taking place, like yeah. all of these things, and and it's become that of legend. And maybe the people involved know more. Maybe they don't. But I love the fact that this era of hockey was just so up in the air. Especially for the WHA, yeah. it just seems like a fascinating time to be there.
2: You know who ended up playing for the Avco Cup that year. Who was that? Edmonton and Winnipeg. And we lost in six games. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So that's, yeah, we yeah, so we had a chance to win a championship and we were great all year long. We blew we blew everybody away in the league standings, but we kind of struggled in the playoffs and Winnipeg beat us with uh, Terry Ruskowski, Preston. I mean, they had a pretty good team Uh, and uh, but they came out and took it to us but uh, we were on the way back and and coming back and game 6 was very important and everybody was psyched to go right everybody psyched to go out and and uh and play and and bring game 7 back to edmonton well at christmas time peter Pocketon had us doing all this uh positive thinking. He br- brought some guys in from California. So here we're supposed to have <laughs> Christmas and we're spending 8 hours in a hotel conference room listening to positive thinking exercises this and oh. that and it but what he did do he said if we win the league championship meaning this, uh you know before the playoffs if we end up in first place we have a one way ticket to any club med In the world, okay? If we win the AVCO Finals, we get the return ticket plus Plus $1,000 to spend. Okay, so great. We accept the deal. We end up in first place in the league standings. That's one-way trip. So now it's game six. We struggled the whole playoffs, but we managed, and we're getting it back. We had just beat Winnipeg, I think, 10-3 to in game five. So the guys are rolling, feeling comfortable. So we're all ready to sure. go on the ice. And Glenn Seder comes back in the dressing room and says, hold on, hold on, guys. Uh, somebody wants to talk to you. Well, Peter Pockington comes in with one of his uh, workers or whatever with a box. And he went around to every guy, gave a, a, a tube of copper tone and these little bikini Bikini bathing suits that said Edmonton Oilers on it, right? He went around the whole team and shook their hands. We almost got a penalty because we were late getting on the ice. Well, guess what? That first period, they just took it to us. Our we were deflated. And and anybody that played with the Oilers, I I'm not trying to sell Peter Pocketon under the bus, but that is what happened. And we went out, got behind 3-0 really quick. And tried to struggle to get back. And uh, we lost it. We lost the Avco But any other oiler you get on, ask him about that. And he'll tell you that that is a true story. So Sometimes he
0: thinks that motivation turned into a negative. Eh? Yeah.
2: Well, because like I said, everybody was psyched to get on the ice, get playing, continue. We did game five. But now you're postponing it. And everybody's kind of looking at each other going, what is this? You know, it could have been done afterwards or whatever. So, uh, but they were better than us that series. Like I said, the the whole playoffs, we struggled. We struggled against Hartford and uh, uh, there was only four teams in the playoffs. We struggled in Hartford. They took us to seven games and then we got down two games to zip uh, against Winnipeg at home, you know, so, and then we won one on the road there Came, uh, they won the second one, came back, annihilated them in game five, and I think we would have beaten them in game six. Hard to say about game seven because that never took place. So.
1: That's tough. I mean, it's, but you know, it wasn't the end of your stint with that talented no. crew and obviously with the the draft, uh, with the WHA and NHL merger, uh, your rights were actually owned by the Minnesota North Stars, uh, but you were protected. You were one of two protected goalies on the yeah. Oilers. Was that ever a question? Did you know that was going to happen? Was that ever up in the air that whether you were going to be protected?
2: Uh, you know what? We only had two goaltenders in this uh, really, that mm-hmm. played there. Me and, uh, me and uh, Dryden. Um, yeah. And uh yeah, I, I guess I didn't know how it happened, but at, at one point it looked like Minnesota wanted me back because they had traded that year, Lou Nanny traded Doug Hicks to uh to Chicago for my rights. And he even came to right. Indianapolis after the trade and talked to us and said, Listen, I want you back in, in mini." Uh, so I didn't know. I was up in the air. I, I mean, Glenn didn't have to protect me. Maybe there was a – I didn't know who was in the system, right? Uh, no one was ever called up in 78. It was just me and, uh, me and Dryden. And uh, so I didn't know what was going to happen, right? Uh, but when they did protect me, you know, I felt really, really relieved because I liked Edmonton, really liked it. Yeah. We had a great yeah. squad. Glenn Sather did a great job keeping – and making deals to keep most of the guys from the year before. So we started off, I think a little bit better than most of the, uh, uh, the uh, W-H-A teams. Right. uh, Winnipeg, Quebec city, and, uh, obviously Hartford because Glenn probably kept about three quarters of the guys. Uh, so Oops. yeah, I was, I was excited that, Hey, I wasn't going anywhere. Now I get a shot at the NHL and all that. So,
1: and you had yet a few more years obviously playing with with Wayne and and before we get to the later parts of your career cuz i'd love to get into your your time in in New York uh, and and get your ultimate preference between steak shack and studio 54 but before you were in <laughs> I New knew York that was going to happen <laughs> before before you were in New York uh, obviously spending spending time with Wayne kind of laid the groundwork for for some of what would come post your playing career. Uh, you, you, you had worked with Wayne, uh, at his winery at one point, as well as the vice president of us sales, uh, stayed close, obviously at one point you were director of player development with, with Phoenix. Was that also involved around Wayne's involvement with that team yeah. too? Was, were you, were you, did you just want to remain tight and, yeah. uh, and, and take some opportunities and help each other out along the way?
2: Well, even when I was traded, uh, Wayne helped me get traded. Okay. Um, uh, some guy named Grant Fear decided yeah. Some guy named Grant Fear decided <laughs> okay. he could play at 18. So the expendable <laughs> guy was me because Ronnie Lowe was making much more money than I was. Uh, it was pretty hard to send him to the minors. So I ended right. up in Wichita and uh playing for uh, Larry Gordon, who was our GM the year before, right? So uh, anyways, down there Brian, he knows Glenn Sather. Glenn Sather never wanted to be taken yeah. in a deal. He always wanted to get the best. So there was a lot of offers going back and forth. And one was with Boston, but Glenn wanted Stan Jonathan and somebody else. And there's no way Boston was going to get. So Wayne eventually, I think he went to slats and uh, he won't probably admit it, but Maybe you can ask him that off camera. But I think he said to to, to Glenn Sather, hey, listen, Eddie's wasting away there. He doesn't belong down in the Central League. Uh, just make the deal. And at that time, New York was struggling with goaltending because they were all hurt. John Davidson was hurt. Uh, uh, Steve Baker, uh, they had another third guy. Everybody was hurt. So Steve Weeks was the only goaltender, and they ended up calling up John Van Briesbach, from Sault Ste. Marie, okay, as an emergency, mm-hmm. and he was only 18. He was drafted by New York the year before or the, the summer before. So, anyways, the timing was right, and Glenn Glenn ended up saying, okay, all he got for me was Lance Nethery, okay, who was a Toronto guy and then went to New York. So, he ended up there. Well, my first six games in, in New York, I was 6-0. and and Wayne was always going to Glenn and saying, geez, Eddie won another one, Glenn. Hey, Glenn. <laughs> Eddie won another one. So he, he was instigating right at breakfast. Oh, wow, paper. Anyways, say that Glenn looked at Gretz and said, that's the last time I do anybody a favor. <laughs> so, so I think Wayne had a lot to do with, with, with getting me to a place, as you say, New York, which was a fantastic place to play
0: wayne wayne is notorious for being loyal to his friends and vice versa so you know and and he he'd go to always have your back in any situation yeah
1: well and and i think we all benefited from that or at least those of us uh or or those in the world who got to experience the wayne gretzky fantasy camp because uh that was such a tight-knit community as well that you had been involved with uh obviously you you'd maintained your relationship with wayne gretzky and Our experience is there that the Wayne Gretzky fantasy camp comes up all the time on this podcast. And it's kind of one of the things that our listeners love hearing about most because it's just such an intimate look into the life of some of the players. And you
0: know that my biggest memory was not getting a pass from Wayne Gretzky, not defending against Wayne Gretzky, Uh but finally scoring on Eddie. (laughs) Finally
1: scoring on Eddie. (laughs) I got
0: one goal and maybe 30 shots (laughs) over 15 years and, and, you know me, and it was pro. I think it was a goal that somebody shot a puck and went off my ass and in the net, and that was it. That was all I could. Nobody could score on Eddie. He was Brian, still that good.
2: The thing is, they don't ask you how; they just ask you how many. So you scored <laughs> and one. Wasn't that the year you guys won? Did you have you won uh, one year? right?
0: I won, I think, twice. Twice, I mean, twice over yeah. fifteen years. Not like that. As opposed but, to yeah. Derek Moore, Derek, Derek, like right? 11 out of 15 he years won or something almost like Almost every that. year
2: I got sick of it, you know, our team won <laughs> one year. So it's nice for everybody. But like you said, Mickey, that, that, uh, that fantasy camp, not only did everybody enjoy it, I think the pros enjoyed it. And uh, you know, it seemed like that. Yeah. yeah. You got
1: that vibe from everyone involved. Yeah.
2: It, we looked forward to it. In fact, I should have had hip surgery probably five years before we ended it all. But I didn't want to miss one year of this thing. So when Wayne called it quits, that's when I went and scheduled my new hip uh, replacement because uh, it was starting to bother me, but there's no way I was going to get laid up for six months and not be able to go to that fantasy camp. And that's the kind of thing. I mean, if you talk to uh, savvy, Dennis Savard, you talk to Rick talk, it came mm-hmm. a few years. I mean, every yep. guy that came, just looked forward to those four or five days and uh and when he moved to Vegas, it was even better you know uh and uh like i said everybody everybody the camaraderie it wasn't like uh the campers were uh were bugging all the guys. We had cocktails right. with the guys. We were at the parties. We enjoyed the guys' wives. Uh, everybody was a friendly, friendly well, unit. Not Enjo- that much. Enjoyed their wives. <laughs> well, okay. you know Talk about stories from you. New
0: York. All right. <laughs> well. yeah. The one thing about it is, all those guys, almost all the guys that were there for multiple years, and and most of the guys were because even yeah. if they couldn't really afford it, they found a way to get in. And and Wayne was so generous with some of them. That he just said, You're coming. Well, I can't afford the second. You're coming back. And he would pick up the tab. That's Wayne. Uh, But you had to be that kind of guy that was uh, a positive effect on the camp. But the guys, pros and uh, amateurs that were there, all have still, uh, Eddie, I'm sure you get emails and and contacts from almost all those guys. So do I. We're still in touch. Um, They all still want to go. Wayne talks about it. I talked to him. uh, back in august and he says we got to get another one going oh, <laughs> and i think he said where was it he wanted to do it in atlanta or somewhere where his new broadcast is yeah. but you know wayne talks about it. he wanted to do it in europe one year too yeah
2: remember we we're all going to europe right
0: i haven't put my skates on since the last <laughs> camp either so
2: well i'm still waiting for you because i I've, I've been skating with the red wing alumni in fact we're going to dallas this weekend we're playing right after the uh Dallas uh, Saber game, and we're playing the Dallas uh, Stars alumni. So, I don't know how long oh, nice. I'll last with those young guys, but uh, it's uh, it's it. We stay in we, we stay in hopefully good shape. We just did two outdoor games in Detroit, so we've got a pretty good alumni. We're Mickey Redmond, Darren McCarty, uh, Joey Kosher, Larry Murphy. Uh, we get a pretty good lineup of uh, Hall of Famers out there, and then. We also have the Hall of Shamers like myself, and you know, uh,
1: <laughs> I'm sure
0: uh, you're still a uh, you know? top form.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, wait, so <laughs> how does that work? I actually don't know much about that. So is this is this part of like a an ongoing broadcast, or is this more of just like a like a a, a way to have fun with w- among the teams? Like, is you just play with the alumni team against other alumni teams as yeah. as they're traveling together?
2: Well, we, uh, you know, they're trying to do a lot more of alumni versus alumni NHL. Uh, yeah. But obviously the cost and, you know, you have to have the major team kind of pick it up. But locally we'll do, we'll play against like the the outdoor game. We played against UAW. We played against Ram Truck. So they put teams together and we go out and the money all goes to charity. So so the majority nice. of our games are within the city. And, uh, and And again, they're not great games, but we have a lot of fun. And the guys playing against us. Enjoy it because they're getting to the face off against uh, Jimmy Carson one night, or go against Larry Murphy, Craig Willanen, Mickey Redmond. McCarty has fun with them, so uh, it's a big it's a big afternoon or night for those guys. So, and we enjoy it too. We get to tell each other how good we used to be in the dress room. <laughs>
1: Now, I, I, I'm curious because I, I've heard before you, uh, as well as, as, as other members of the alumni, have been somewhat vocal about the ways, especially in the past, that the NHL would treat or not treat ex-NHL players, kind of their time with the league would be up. And they wouldn't do enough to support the process and the transition between being a player at the top of their game and finding something else to do with their lives. Um, now, the NHL alumni has done a ton of good work, uh, great work uh, since then. And even in those last couple of years th- that you mentioned you've been playing with the alumni teams, do you notice that significant changes are being made even as of three or four years ago?
2: Yeah, uh, uh 100% since Glenn Healy took over, as you guys know, he has brought the NHL yeah, yeah. alumni right where it should be. And uh, he That's has great. worked with financial institutions to try and take care of the older guys that don't have that good pension uh, that uh, they started, I think, in 80, 87 or 80, Yeah, 87 where you know there was a lump sum for the players that played over four hundred. Some of us didn't get that pension because you had right. to come back and play forty games. If you remember, you might be too young, Mickey, but Brian will remember Guy Lafleur came out of retirement. Gilbert Perot came out of retirement. Danny Gere played 40 games. They played they had to dress and be involved in 40 games. That added to their career and years before And they got the old and the new. While there were some guys that were qualified but had to play, and in my case, I couldn't latch on with a team, uh, Danny Gare, Glenn Sather, did him a favor, brought him back into the fold, dressed him for 40 games, played him one or two shifts, and then released him after 40 games. But Danny picked up. So Glenn now has tried to take care of those guys that got left behind that year. And not only that, just uh, creating uh, uh, deals with Hertz, uh, uh, car rentals, just hotels. Wiser, yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything Glenn and his, his group, Scott, and and anybody else that's under them, they have done 100%. Uh, I mean, I, I, it, it's night and day. And, again, it's Glenn going in and fighting with the NHL clubs and taking – them to relieve some of the cash also so i think yeah uh but you're right the nhl did not they only cared really about the current guys which you can't fault them for doing it but every league professional league in north america takes care of their older players some of these guys after five years especially baseball they got a real nice pension obviously you understand they got great tv money we never had that T V money back in my era. And uh now it's starting to come. So uh so I applaud Glenn Healy and his group and I applaud the NHL for knowing hey there is a problem. They're
0: coming on board, here. Yeah. You
2: know, yeah. yeah. And- one
0: of the one of the things that Glenn's brought to the table too, in addition to that, is the fact that one of the issues that the NHL alumni has always had, as with the PA, is that there's a small percentage of guys that drive a large part of the industry, you know, the Crosby's, Ovechkins yeah. and that the, the, the Jersey-sold McDavids. Uh, and the same holds true for the alumni. And the problem is when the alumni leave the league, they're on their own and or have been on their own. And so somebody like Wayne Gretzky would say, "Well, okay, show me a plan that makes sense because I get all this money coming, right? you know, from endorsements and that directly to me." And I don't mind helping the other guys, but if I'm driving, you know, eighty percent of the business, you know, how it is, how is that equitable for mm-hmm. me? I'm giving away a lot of money, and you got to show me how it's going to work sure. for everybody because I don't mind doing that as long as it goes to the right places. And uh, what Glenn's been able to do. Was work with and and because he's respected by all these guys, he's been able to work with guys like Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux and Bobby Orr and bring them into the fold, which they never saw. Those guys never really saw a proper plan so that they could agree to do that because it's got to be they got to make sure that the money that they're giving up is going to go to the right Right, places. And Glenn convinced them to come on board, which makes it so much easier for companies like ours. To do deals with one entity rather than go try and find each individual right, player, right. we want to do a group deal. Exactly. We can't do it, just yeah. like the PA. So that's what he's brought to the yeah. table. In addition to all that, and it, it, really it, it feels
1: as though Eddie, even just over the past, because I, I I heard some of what you you had mentioned about the league and the and and uh, and 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 past players, especially in 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 the wake of what happened to Mark Pavlich, uh, an old roommate of yours in New York, and we don't need to to open that back up again because I know that's that's a whole. Uh, other conversation to have, yeah. but it's great to see your perspective having changed with the result of some of the positive influences that have come about the league. But I mentioned New York and the time you spent there. Uh, let's let's dig into that a little bit. Let's let's lighten it up and, and talk about your days. You know, in in, in Edmonton, you you said you were buddy buddy with Wayne and some of the other guys there. It seemed as though in New York, you had a different kind of relationship with one of the players in Ron Dugan, <laughs> uh, a, a, an infamous uh, a personality in the league. You Ooh. have been called his wingman on some occasions although you've declined the fact that he has ever needed a wingman in the first place tell us about that shift from shake shack to studio 54 the 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 move to new york and what that did and to by you the yourself.
0: way ron's agreed to come on the show at some point so he's gonna have rebuttal
2: ah there you go that's quite all right because he won't remember what happened in new york when he was he called, he, he, three years ago i think it was i was on my way to little caesar's uh, to a. Uh, to, for the Red Wing games and uh, he calls me up he says Eddie, he says uh, I need to ask you some questions. I go what do you mean? He says you know they finally I'm going to finally do a book. They've been after me for a few years. I'm going to do a book. But you got to help me out. What did we do back then? <laughs> what do you mean what did we do back then? So here's the story and this is the truth. Okay? All right. So let's go with the first one. Uh, we always used to go. Barry Beck right. was also a third guy, but uh, we'd always be at studio. And Studio 54 was a great spot. Got to meet a lot of people. But it was a, a good entertainment spot, too, that uh, uh, for a lot of you that don't know, they used to have dancers come out of the ceiling with pulls all the way onto the dance floor. Every every half hour, there was a show or 45 minutes. And the, the Rubel and I uh, forget his partner's name, but they did a great job. And they really welcomed the the hockey players. Uh, Mark Beneke was the doorman that you see in the movies uh, where he, his right. job was to let you in or not to let you in. Anytime we pulled up, it was like, come on in. The lineup would be a mile down the road. So we got treated pretty well. But there was a couple instances there. Uh, Ron would call me up. And he said, uh, Eddie, we're going to go to a play. I said, Ron, I was out the night before. Uh, You know, I'm a little tired. I'm not a big play guy anyways. He says, well, you like this one. And I says, why? He says, it's the burning bed with Farrah Fawcett. I said, okay. So he said, we're going to go to her dressing room afterwards and then go out to dinner. I go, all right, I'm in. So okay, we go we finish off, yeah. the play. Uh, the play. And we go back in the dressing room, and she's. If, if you remember the burning bed, the last scene is she's in a negligee, okay. While well, she was still in that shorty nightgown or whatever you want to call it when we came in. So we're sitting there, we're having a glass of wine, and uh, Doogie's not saying anything. I'm doing all the talking, right? Okay. <laughs> hey, he's fair Boom, boom, boom. Anyways. She says, "Okay, um, let's go get some dinner, and uh, let me get dressed, and we'll go." So she gets into another room, and I Dukes is giving me this one, nodding, meaning, "Here's here's the door, here's the door," and I go, "What?" <laughs> oh, no. I said, "What are you talking about?" He says, "Come on, I can handle it from here." You dirty rat. So, anyways, <laughs> I go up. The second story is uh, Bianca Jagger. So he calls me up. He says, hey, uh, I need you to come with me. Uh, we're going to Bianca's uh, dinner party. I go, nah, you know, dude, am eh. He says, no, no, come on. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. So I'm thinking there's going to be some people around, right? Well, we get to her penthouse. Butler lets us in or whatever you want to call him. She comes out. We're having a cocktail there's only the three of us. So I keep waiting. I'm thinking maybe we were early, right? Half hour goes through. She says, why don't we sit down for dinner? And I go, I don't say anything. I'm thinking, son of a gun. What has he got me into? <laughs> he did again. it again. He did it again. <laughs> so we sit down in this long table. Now, I don't know if you remember it, all these movies that have the husband, the wife, and then the kid in the side. Well, that's me. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah, a yeah, huge yeah. table. They can't even talk <laughs> because it's it's a big table. I'm in the side. So anyways, I'm, again, carrying the whole conversation, carrying the conversation. She says, we finished dinner. She says, okay, I'm going to go uh, fix us some dessert. So, again, she leaves. It's just me and Dug's at this long table, and he gives me the nod again. He says, okay, I can handle it from here. So that's number two. <laughs> okay, so it still goes on. We don't have to but it, you get the gist of the thing. So I'm the wingman I get the gist until of it. I'm the wingman until Dugs decides he can handle it. So and that's exactly uh, you know what Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing when he phoned me about his book. And I had to relive it again. He says, oh.
0: Yeah, tell him all about it. Yeah. Oh, I don't really Did re- you ever hear any story about him and Cher, who was so big at the time well, as well? We and had
2: to run from Cher.
0: That was rumors.
2: We had to run from Cher. We started at the place called, I think it was called Visage or the Red Parrot. And Doug said, re- I, I didn't have anything to do with Cher. He was on his own there. He He did well. But. <laughs> it, it, he says to me he said to me he says she's just gra- she's gravitating to me and uh, uh, I can't do anything she's everywhere I go so we were out partying and sure enough there was Cher. he says we gotta go and we take off she shows up at the next place and yes we he, he actually ran from Cher. he did he uh, wow he's wow. probably got a good story for you when and I'll let him talk. just just tell him Eddie wants you to talk about the uh the night that Cher was appearing in Winnipeg, and I think Dugues uh Dukes did a stint with Winnipeg. And somehow some of the guys uh they were asked if they could meet Cher after the show or before the show, I forget what it was. And she said, as long as Ron Dugay's not with them. <laughs> Whoa
1: so things he burned a little I bit a bridge. I think he burned there. a
2: little bridge, but ask him, I might have that wrong. I think Ronnie did a, a stint with uh, the Jets right before he, oh, by the way, ask him if he's retired yet, because he still hasn't officially retired. Okay? Oh, really? I'm serious. Ask Is him that, that true? Well, have you seen anything so in the papers is down. 10 years ago, 12 years ago? No, <laughs> no,
0: no. I, Ron is down in Florida right now, I think, with a good buddy of ours, Mike McKenzie. Right. Uh, he tends to post a lot of pictures of them, in the afternoon, having a, a few cocktails and rumor has it, he's dating Sarah Palin. So he's I never got, stopped. I Look got, at got my
1: pictures. dad with these rumors. What is going on? I here? got pictures.
0: Well, it's,
2: he sent me a picture yeah. when I heard it, it. Actually we're thinking about going into Clark Gillies Memorial the week after he died. And it was uh, Joey Cantalano who was a good friend of Clarkie who was setting it up, sent me this text. He said, Uh, page six, New York post has it that Ron's dating Sarah Palin. I go, you gotta be kidding me. So anyways, he shows me the picture, Ron and Sarah. So I text him. I said, Deuce, what's going on with this? You know, is it true? What's going on? He sent me a picture. She's in it, and it underneath a text he sent, a text with a picture says, she's in my kitchen right now. She was in the kitchen. He took a picture, and she was cooking. So I guess the rumors are true. <laughs> All right? Well, th- th- again,
0: I, I would never, I'm not like TMZ. I won't talk about anything that I shouldn't be talking sure. about. But if it's sitting there front and center on Facebook or Instagram and they're friends of mine, then I'll, I'll oh, talk true. about That's it because everybody else knows. No, too. No, no, it's it's
1: fun. I mean, you it's get true. it's, it's, it's a, yeah. impressive knowing that uh, a guy nicknamed the Italian stallion was the wingman for someone else. But I, Hey, I guess there's always a bigger <laughs> fish. Who knows? I, I don't, I don't know what his deal is. Hey, uh, listen, uh, By anyway, the world,
2: he never set me up. Okay. he <laughs> <You didn't have laughs> Never. Not, nice once, Just selfish. not once with pharaoh's friends or or uh, uh, bianca's friends, nothing, nothing. I got nothing zero. chopped liver over here. I know.
0: Where was uh, Bianca at the time with, I mean, obviously she was married to Mick. Was 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 that over at the yeah, time? Yeah, they were she divorced. She kept the name,
2: I can't remember. They were divorced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 they
0: Because yeah. you don't want to mess around with Mick.
1: No. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not, definitely not. Uh, look, we're running a little bit low on time, Eddie. We appreciate uh, all the time you've given us so far. Uh, you're currently, I want to touch on this just briefly uh, so you can speak about your current position as the director of North America and a player agent for Octane Sports. Settling into that role nicely, can you say a little bit about the company maybe about what you do and, and maybe yeah. some of our listeners will, can reach out for some information?
2: Well, as Brian knows, I worked with IMG and Mike Barnett for 12 years uh, representing Sergei right. Fedorov, Joe Thornton. So anyways, when Wayne, we, we were going to touch about it, when Wayne had uh, some ownership in Phoenix, he brought Mike Barnett and the year after he, he asked me to leave IMG and come and be Director Player Development with Assistant GM job the way in the in the wings Uh, so we did that for five years and then I came back as you said I I was his VP of sales in the States long story short uh, about five years ago uh, someone came and said you should get back in the agent business and uh, two of my friends said the same thing so the three of us started octane sports And uh, we're back in the game and uh, we don't have any players in the NHL, but uh, uh, the number one goaltender in the OHL is Ben Gaudreau. It was my first get four four years ago. He'll have a great career with San Jose. Uh, Look forward to hopefully signing him in April, uh, according to San Jose. But then we have uh, uh, four kids on the development team here in the U.S., two going into the draft this year. So, it's coming and uh, I'm enjoying it again uh, some mornings I wake up saying what did I get into again but uh that that's my life is is hockey and I like working with young kids uh, I I hired uh, Wayne Smith who I think Brian Mickey you might know was the head scout of the Boston Bruins during their Stanley Cup years mm-hmm. unfortunately right. he got fired but I brought him in he's a great uh, visionary. He's a great judge of talent. He does our some of our development team. He's doing great in uh, in uh, in Ottawa area. Uh, in fact, you'll love this, uh, Brian. That uh, Mike Kruzelinski and his son were thinking of joining forces, bringing them on to Octane, even though they have their own business called NXT. But Mike now is doing a little bit of the bird dogging and, and enjoying it. And obviously with Michigan, we're pretty tight in. Uh So it's, it's coming Mickey, uh, Brian, it's uh it's a tough business. There's a lot of great agencies out there. And the only market I really haven't dived into yet is the Toronto area, which obviously because of COVID the last two years, really tough for me to get there, but I'll, I'll open up that market pretty sure with, with, with Mike with me. And we're looking for, getting a guy in that area also. So it's been good. And uh, I think in five years, you'll, you'll hear more of Octane Sports because all our kids will be in the NHL. So
0: Anything we can do to help. As a matter of fact, I've been keeping my eye on a kid uh, that I'll let you know about off, off the thing. <laughs> sure. it, I have a very good relationship and his fathers and I are very close. I flew him into Toronto uh, just to see the place and keep the relationship strong. Uh he's only twelve or thirteen years old now, but you know, he's got a couple years to go, but somebody you should keep an eye on, it. and I'd recommend you because I know yeah. you well.
2: Well, you know, Brian, you say twelve thirteen. That's what guys are recruiting. They're recruiting old nines, which are twelve years old. I unfortunately right. Uh, right. don't want to do that, except you have to throw your name in there. You don't want them latching on to somebody that young, you know. Uh yeah. unfortunately, I would like to wait till they're 16 but there's no way you're going to get ahead in this business. You got to recruit them at 13 years old, 13, 14 at the latest.
0: Well, in 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 the sense that uh this sense that you don't have to necessarily recruit them, but as you say, you just got to, you know, start build- I built a relationship with them since the kid's yeah. 10 just because I I saw him and I sure. liked him and I said, "Boy, this kid's talented for 10." Now, I'm not a hockey expert like you are in terms of skill sets, but He's good. I mean, I've seen a lot of talent over the years. I don't know. I've seen you
2: on the ice, Brian. You're not bad. You scored on Eddie Meal. So, (laughs) I mean, come on.
0: Yeah, you can can teach this kid how to score with his (laughs) ass, Dad. It'll be great, No, no, but I've been watching a long time. Do
2: you guys have a quick minute for the story I thought you were going to ask about us on the plane going to Minneapolis?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, hell yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear this story. So, we
2: finally are told to get going. So, we load up everything. And the flight takes off and we're not, we're still climbing. And the pilot door opens up and one of the pilots says, who's paying for this? And we're all looking around going, what do you mean? <laughs> who's paying for it? Who's wherever we're going, they're going to pay for it. They go, well, we need some form of uh, payment. I go, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm going to turn right back and go back to the Indianapolis airport. So I'm looking at Peter Driscoll. Peter Driscoll doesn't have a credit card. He just does everything in cash. Obviously, Wayne's making more money than we are, but his money's with Walter <laughs> and Phyllis. So I look at sure. the pilot and I said, do you take a credit card? He goes, yeah. Believe it or not, he took a credit card, the old swiper, right? So he swipes uh-huh. it, sends it back to me. I'm looking at it to sign and I'm stop. And Peter Driscoll's sitting beside me says, what, what's the matter? I said, well, look at this. Yeah, so and I said, it's $10,000. He goes, Jesus. Okay. So I go, all right, sign it. Boom. He give me a copy back. And I look at Peter and I said, You think they'll check? And they go, Check what? I says, My credit card. He said, Why? I said, It's got a $500 Canadian limit on it. <laughs> 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 so, so they didn't check, and it was with TD. Toronto Dominion, right? So, uh, right. Brian, you know where I'm going with this now. So, anyways, we land in uh, in uh, Edmonton, and John Short was the PR guy at the time. He comes and he says, guys, you're late, all the press, you got to go. I said, I'm not leaving this plane until you take care of this. And I gave him my receipt, and he ripped it up in front of me and gave the American Express. He says, go. Well, in hindsight, we didn't know what went. I should have kept that copy, framed it for Wayne, right? Now, who wow, was Wayne, it would have been worth yeah, a big time. But who was Wayne with for so many years? And I think he's still with them. TD, right? Right. So that would have right. worked out. It was a TD card. That wow, got us that dead. would be a whole commercial. <laughs> yes. That
0: would be a commercial That's why in I knew itself. You, I
2: knew you would like it, right? And uh, so, in in essence, that was the way. I mean, the story is more because we all panicking that they were going to call. But uh, by the time we got there, that flight, and by the way, we went to the wrong airport. Right. So we go to the international airport and everything's dark because now it's about 11 o'clock Edmonton time. Uh, By the time we got out, all dark. Custom guy gets on the plane. He says, you guys got to be at the city airport. They're all waiting for you there. So guess what? Take off again. Guess what came back to me? The old credit swiper. Because we only it was only to <laughs> oh, the international wow. airport, <laughs> so there was another thousand bucks there, right? So in any case, wow. it was taken care of. It never went through, but it's still a story that. And Wayne, you
0: guys would have maybe been back in Minneapolis yeah. <laughs> without Eddie Mio there. <laughs> and uh, what was Wayne a nervous flyer back oh, then yeah, as he is now? Yeah,
2: yeah. in fact, yeah, he
0: didn't like flying. We had
2: that little plane. I got a picture that I'll send to you when I find it. Who knows? Of us before we got on the plane, Wayne's sitting in the plane, it's a small little Learjet, very small. Our equipment took up everything. Wayne was sitting on the cooler that had our beer and sandwiches, right? I mean, and he was a nervous wreck. Uh, we ended up giving up a few beers to calm him down. So, but yes, he is a nervous, nervous wreck. And, uh, uh, But we got there, and and look at look what
0: happened. Yeah, hey, it's amazing. We we have to get you back on. There's there's hundreds of more stories I know because I've heard them from Eddie over the years that we got to get to. And at some point, we got to get you back on. It's been. Awesome, Eddie. Well,
1: story after story, Eddie, we appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, octanesports.com if you're out there listening and you want to check it out. Uh, Eddie, once again, thank you so much for sharing your stories and your insight, going into depth and finally shedding uh, some color on the stories that guys like Gus Bedaly and Stan Butler set up for us in the first place. Uh, so, Eddie, uh, anything else you want to shout out? Anything you want to send people towards on your end? <laughs> no,
2: I, I just like, I, I think you guys have got a good show going. I've heard about it, but uh, you got a pretty good dad there and he's been very, supportive of not only that, the yeah. alumni, but he does some things uh, that other guys that own businesses like his won't do. So stay close to him. And uh, when I'm in Toronto, I'll give you guys a shout. It depends if your dad's in town or in Florida or in Europe or in the Caribbean, wherever, dancing with his lovely wife. On the beach, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, Thanks, we, we'll do this Appreciate again, that. you know, so it's it's all fun. So That'd thank you awesome. guys.
1: Once again, for Eddie Mio, for Brian Aaronworth, president of Framework Sports Marketing, and myself, Mikey Aaronworth, this has been the Sign Off Podcast, and this is us signing off. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we made it to the end of yet another episode. Thanks again so much for joining us. You can find videos of all of our episodes on YouTube by searching The Sign-Off Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Frameworth Sport or Instagram at Frameworth Sports. And hey, if you're not sick of me yet, you can find me on Twitter over at at @retrograde_mikey, or you can always find me embarrassing myself over on Instagram at Aaronworth. The Sign-Off is a proud product of Fadoo Productions and Sad Styles Productions, Executive Producers, Mikey Aaronworth and Andrew Bascom. Until next week, this is Mikey Aronworth signing off
2: furnished by sad styles
0: productions
2: get into it